0: The scripture reading for this week is Luke 24:13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about 7 miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe that all, all the prophets have spoken. was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to where they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while we talked? While he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread.
1: In Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 39, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. He said, and we know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. It's quite a thing to say that we know. So how do we know that? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his Son, Jesus Christ, in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. He pronounced them righteous. He pronounced them Free from guilt. He pronounced them perfectly right with God, and those whom He justified, He also glorified. He fully shaped them into the image of Jesus Christ. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give to us all things? Oh, who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, praying for us ceaselessly, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. What a question. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, 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 no. In all of these things, in the midst of all of these things, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I am certain to the depths of my heart that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things that are present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us From the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord beloved, the risen Christ is the hope of life. And for those of us who believe in him, that hope is unbreakable, it is unshakable, it is untakeable. Nothing can corrupt it. And my prayer for today has been and continues to be that something of the power of the hope that belongs to us through faith in Jesus Christ would land upon us, grip our minds, inflame our hearts, and shape the way we think about everything. Do you understand that if you can see the power of the hope you have in Jesus, oh, everything else in your life would take its proper place. Everything else would become so small if the hope you have in Jesus Christ is as big in your eyes as it actually is. Oh, may the Lord give us eyes to see today. And if you're here this morning and you have never believed in Jesus Christ, my prayer for you has been and continues to be that today would be the day when you put your faith in him. That today would be the day when you enter into a hope that is unshakable, unbreakable, and untakeable. May the Lord hear and answer our prayers. And let's pause now for a moment and pray. Our Father, we thank you so much because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an objective fact that is true outside of our belief or lack of belief You did, in fact, live. You did, in fact, obey your Father all the way to death on a cross. You did, in fact, suffer. You did, in fact, experience crucifixion. You were, in fact, buried in the earth the one who created the earth, put inside a grave. You did, in fact, rise from the dead. You did, in fact, ascend to be where your Father is. You are, in fact, sitting now at the right hand of the glorious throne of God. You are, in fact, interceding for us with words that cannot be uttered. Lord, these things are true outside of our affections, outside of our belief or lack of belief, and we praise you for who you are. We praise you for what you have done. But oh Jesus, how I pray that you would draw near to us today and confront us for our lack of faith and also build up in us a faith in you at one and the same time. Let us come away from this experience today changed because we have encountered the living Christ, oh Lord, this is the heart of my prayer. And I give you my thanks. I give you my praise because I am sure that you will answer. In your mighty name, in your merciful name, in your matchless name, we pray. Amen. For those who had decided to follow Jesus in those days, it was an exceedingly difficult time, probably so difficult that it's hard for us to get our minds around it. In one way or another, these men had heard Jesus teach. They had been moved by the power that poured through him. They had likely seen him heal or cast out a demon or exercise power over the forces of nature, and they were so moved by this man that they decided to drop everything in their lives. Some of them quit their jobs, some of them forsook their families, and they followed Jesus Christ to hear what he had to say and do whatever he called them to do. But now their Lord and their leader had been arrested on some trumped-up charges. In fact, he had been put through a trial, and he had been convicted, and he had been crucified to death, and he had been buried in a grave, and they did not know what to do. The, all this stuff for them was out of left field. It should not have been because Christ told them it was coming, but for them it was out of left field, and they were perplexed. They were confused, they were disillusioned to a level that I think is difficult for us to grasp. Jesus had died on a Friday afternoon, he was buried on a Friday evening, and now it was Sunday morning and two of his disciples were walking down a seven-mile road from Jerusalem a little bit to the northeast to this town called Emmaus. And they were talking there about the things that had transpired with regard to Jesus. And while they were talking, lo and behold, someone came up and began to walk with them along the road. We know, because we have the story right in front of us, that it was the risen Jesus Christ who was walking with them. But Luke tells us in verse 16 that for whatever reason, they didn't recognize him. They saw him and they didn't see him at the same time. They had faith and they lacked faith at one and the same time. There was Christ with them and they did not know who he was. As one who was an absolute master of accessing the heart, Jesus just asked this simple question. He said to them, what were you talking about along the road? One of the disciples, a man named Cleopas, was taken back by this. He couldn't imagine that someone would ask that question and so he basically said, are you kidding me? Are you the only guy in Jerusalem in these days? The city is just packed with visitors because it's the Passover week. It's, it's like doubled in size. Are you the only guy that hasn't heard about everything that's transpired? Everybody knows what's happened. And Jesus just looked at him and said, what things, what are you talking about? Now, you have to understand, Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about, right? Jesus knew the details a little bit better than these guys knew the details, He was the one who was crucified, who was buried, who rose again. But he's trying to access the heart, do you see? He's trying to pull them out, trying to draw them out. And so Cleopas, a little bewildered, they stopped by the side of the road, the three of them, and they began to talk. And Cleopas basically said, here's what we were talking about, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He was a man who was a prophet and he was mighty indeed. he was mighty in word, he healed people, he cast out demons, he exercised power over nature like no one we've ever seen. When he told the wind to stop, the wind stopped. When he told the waves to cease, they ceased. He had power like no one has ever seen. And as for his teaching, it's difficult to explain. He taught with such depth of insight. But more than that, there was an unusual authority about him. When he spoke, you felt gripped by the power of God. You could not deny it. But now, some of our leaders, our chief priests, the rulers of our people actually brought him into court on some trumped-up charges and they saw that he was crucified. They brought him before the Roman powers and they made false charges against him. And they actually hired witnesses to come and lie in order to bolster the testimony. And the Roman people actually killed him. They put him to death. And as for us, we just don't know what to do. We thought that this guy was the hope of Israel. We know the Bible We've been waiting for the Messiah. We've been waiting for the one to come and gather the forces of God and drive the Romans out of Israel and reestablish the kingdom here and reestablish the throne in Jerusalem itself. We thought this was the guy and now he's gone. But another thing happened this morning that really threw us for a loop. And we just don't know what to do. Some of our women went to the tomb to see Jesus and to take care of a few things and when they got there, lo and behold, the stone was rolled away and they look inside the grave and there are the grave closed but Jesus was not there and they came back and testified to us disciples and they told us about all of these things and one of the eleven got up and ran with another brother to the tomb as fast as he could and certainly they found there exactly what the woman had said to be true. The body of Jesus Christ was gone and so we're super confused. We feel disillusioned. We feel disrespected in some ways. We feel like all our hope is gone, and yet, where's Jesus? The women told us that the angels said to them that he had rose from the dead, but we don't really know what that means, so that's what we were talking about. Like the rest of the disciples, these precious brothers were just caught up in confusion. They were so, so perplexed. But rather than trying to comfort them, I find it amazing that Jesus actually rebuked them. He saw into their hearts, and he, without fear, spoke what needed to be spoken. Please look with me at verse 25. He said to them, O oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. You see, these guys had grown up in the atmosphere of scripture. They knew the Bible. They had grown up hearing the stories week after week, month after month, year after year in synagogue. They knew the writings of Moses, probably better than we do. They knew the writings of Samuel and the other prophets, Isaiah and all those other guys. They knew the writings of David. They knew the writings of Solomon. And if their hearts had not been hard, They would have seen for themselves the prophecies of the Christ there. They would have seen everything foretold there, but their hearts were hard. And if that wasn't enough, they had much more, more than any other Jew in the land. These brothers had walked with Jesus for at least three and maybe up to four years. And in those years, on at least three specific occasions, Jesus Christ opened up the scriptures to them and showed them plainly That the Christ must suffer at the hands of the leaders of Israel. That he must be killed. It was not enough that he die. He had to be killed. But that on the third day he would rise again and he would go to his father's side where he would rule and reign forever. Beloved, at least three times Jesus did a specific Bible study with his disciples on this point. They should have known So even though they were disillusioned, even though they were perplexed, even though they were hurting and confused, Christ chose to rebuke rather than comfort them. They needed to wake up. They were seeing and not seeing at the same exact time. And Christ was trying to wake their souls up. He is, even when he rebukes us, a God of great mercy and a God of great compassion. Amen. He rebukes us in the way that a good parent would rebuke us in order to shape us into his image and lead us in the way that we should go. And so having issued this rebuke, he now set out to teach them. And if you look at verse 27, you'll see that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You gotta get the picture in mind here. They're walking down a road. They're not at a synagogue. There's no Bible available there to them by the side of the road. They're walking. They've stopped by the side of the road to have this discussion. Jesus listened to what they had to say. He issued a loving rebuke and now he begins to do a Bible study with them. And I'm not gonna go into the details of of why I think this, but according to my own calculations, I think this conversation from this point forward took about six hours, maybe as long as eight hours. The Lord took a long time from his memory to open up all the scriptures to these people, to show them in Moses and Samuel and David and Solomon and Isaiah and all the rest where Christ was in the scriptures. He compassionately taught them again. No matter how much time went by, the more important thing to understand is this. Jesus saw himself in the writings of the prophets because he was the spirit at work in the lives of the prophets as they were writing. And in this case, I mean prophets in a broad sense. I mean everybody who wrote the Old Testament. When we think of Moses to Malachi and everybody in between, Jesus Christ saw himself in the writings of the prophets because he was himself the spirit at work as they were writing these things down. He was inspiring them to write and then he came to fulfill everything he caused them to write. It's no wonder that he could from his memory expound to them all things concerning himself in the scripture from Moses to Malachi or for the way their Bible was organized from Moses to Second Chronicles. Later, Peter would write this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. He said, concerning this salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now, by the time Peter wrote 1 Peter, he gets it. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Jesus saw himself in the writings of the prophets because he himself was the spirit at work in the hearts of the prophets. And when he had finished this time of teaching, they continued their march toward the city of Emmaus, And as they began to come near to the city, Jesus uh, seemed as though he was gonna just walk past the city and keep on keeping on. But those brothers prevailed upon him because the day was getting long and the sun was starting to set. And so they asked him to come in to their home and have dinner with him, with them, and to lodge with them. And by his grace, Jesus said yes. And while they were reclined there at the table, the Lord, for whatever reason, took it upon himself to grab the bread. And when he had grabbed the bread, he broke it and he gave thanks to the Father. He blessed it and he passed it out to them. And somehow in the way that he did what he did, they finally came to see who they had been with all this time. They finally came to see that the one they had been talking to, the one they had been walking with, the one they were now dining with, is none other than Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, the one about whom so much Scripture was written and now is being fulfilled. And I find it very important, not only for them, but for us, very significant That The the point in time at which Jesus was revealed to them was not simply when they were looking at the Scripture, but when he was revealed through the broken body and the spilled blood. If I could put it to you another way, Jesus Christ is shown in the Scriptures, but he is seen on the cross. Jesus Christ is prophesied in the words of the Bible, but we come to know him through his death and burial and resurrection. While there are many things about Jesus that are made known to us in the pages of the Bible, the fullness of his glory is revealed to us upon the cross. The fullness of the glory of Christ is revealed to us in that place where where wrath and mercy meet, where truth and grace meet, where the horror of our sins and the irreversible power of his forgiving acts meet. There, Jesus is seen. Even to this day, beloved, even to this day, the place where Christ is revealed is the cross of Christ. This is what opened the eyes of his disciples. But one thing that amazes me is that as soon as these two guys finally figured out who they were with, guess what Jesus did? Luke says, he just vanished. What a time to take off, right? They finally get it. They finally understand who they're with. And for whatever reason, Jesus thinks it's time to leave. I don't know if this was a miraculous kind of thing or if he just got up and left. I don't know. Luke just says he vanished. What I think I do know is that the reason he vanished is because he wanted to reveal himself to them, but it was not time to enter into a fullness of fellowship with them. More had to be done. More had to be said. More of the will of God had to unfold. And so it was time for him to reveal himself, yes, but it was also time for him to leave. And as for these disciples, they were left to wonder. And they said, did not our hearts burn inside of us as he talked to us on the road, as he opened us to, up to us the Scriptures? Did we not know again that we were in the presence of one who is teaching with unusual, powerful authority? Did we not feel the overwhelming, consuming fire of truth and the weight of glory that is in Him who revealed the Scripture and who also fulfilled the Scripture? And with that, they arose and they walked back to Jerusalem. It was a seven-mile walk, but I'm thinking they probably got there pretty quick. I'm thinking they got there a lot quicker than they had gotten to Emmaus. They hightailed it back to Jerusalem. And when they were in Jerusalem, they searched around the city and they found the 11 apostles who had now gathered together with other disciples. They were there talking. They were musing about these things. And the apostles themselves were beginning to move from a place of fear to a place of faith. The appearances of Christ were beginning to sink in and they were realizing that they had not been bamboozled, but rather this one who had died had risen again. They didn't quite know what it meant, but when the brothers from Emmaus arrived, the Bible tells us that they heard the apostles saying, the Lord is risen indeed. You see, their fears were now turning to faith. They didn't know what was gonna happen. They didn't know what was coming next, but somehow they knew this, the Lord has risen indeed. While they were talking, Jesus Christ suddenly appeared among them. And how would you feel if that happened here right now, today? What if right in the middle of this worship service, Jesus Christ just showed himself and stood there right in the midst of us? What would happen to your heart? The Lord said these words to them. He said, peace to you, peace to you, And he meant that, and by the way, the peace that he spoke over them was an objective fact outside of their feelings. And thanks be to God, because I think the last thing they felt in that moment was peace. It says they were startled, they were frightened. They actually thought they were seeing a ghost. Wouldn't you think that? If Christ just suddenly appeared, what what would you think, what would you feel? They were frightened, they were startled, they wondered what was actually going on. But Jesus was speaking peace over them. And again, even while he's speaking peace, he takes this opportunity to rebuke them because he sees in them a lack of faith. And he says this to them. He says, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Do you see that he's putting his finger on their lack of faith? That's what he really wants to address here. Why do you still not believe The Lord had repeatedly taught them all that was gonna come to pass. That very morning, the Lord had sent angels to a group of women to speak to them about the risen Christ. We didn't read this in Luke's account, but we learn from the Bible that Jesus Christ personally appeared to Peter. Kevin, this is another point in your, what you were saying about Peter and his personal experience. As far as I know, he's the only apostle that Christ personally, privately appeared to. Something powerful about that. He sought Peter out, showed himself to him. Peter had seen Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah, and now uh, Peter saw the risen Christ, the post-resurrection Jesus. He saw him with his own eyes. And now the Lord was appearing among all 11 of them and the question was, why were they troubled? Why were they still lacking faith? How could they still see and not see at the same time? What were they struggling with? What was it inside of them that was keeping them from believing? Well, whatever their reasons, the grace of Jesus Christ caused him to just show them his hands. He showed them his feet. He showed them his side, and you know what it's talking about. He's showing them the scars. He's saying, listen, this is really me, and he actually invited them to touch and to see for himself, for themselves. There are some in this world today, Jehovah's Witnesses are among them, who deny the physical resurrection of Jesus. They say that he just rose in some kind of spiritual way and that he was just a sort of phantasm that people were seeing, that he wasn't actually physically visible. A text like this undermines that lie Jesus said, come touch me, feel, look at the wounds, see, it is me. The Lord was proving himself to them, beloved. And while they were overwhelmed with joy and struggling to believe at the same time, Jesus asked them, do you have any fish to eat? And isn't that a great thing to say to Minnesota people? Jesus asked for fish, a northern, a walleye, whatever it was. He asked for some fish and he sat down with them and he ate because phantasms don't eat fish. Physically risen saviors though eat fish and there Christ was, the glorious one, the risen one, enjoying fellowship with them, enjoying time with them, sitting with them, talking with them, probably even laughing with them, rejoicing in the things of God with them and indeed teaching them. The Lord was risen indeed and he was proving himself to his disciples. I hope you can see that. Even while he's rebuking their lack of faith, he's bolstering their faith by showing himself to them. He's confronting them and building them up at one and the same time. Such is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe that's what he's here to do among us today as well. Then the Lord said this in verses 44 through 49. If you'll just look there with me, please let me read these for us. The Lord said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. There's no two ways about it. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That is, I think he conducted another Bible study. He showed them again. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. It had to start there, and then it was going to explode outwards. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. In that last verse, you know probably that Christ was talking about the giving of the Holy Spirit. And you know, as we've been working our way through Acts in these days, that in Acts chapter 2, the Lord began to fulfill that promise when he poured his Spirit out upon his people. And the Lord has continued to fulfill that promise decade after century after century after century, right down to our own day, as Jesus Christ builds his church by the power of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the gospel by the power of the presence of God and the humble testimony of those people who have come to know God through Jesus Christ. This is what he was doing in those days. This is indeed what he is doing in our day. Beloved, in those days, Jesus was proving himself to the disciples by sending his angels to speak to the women by, sending, uh, by, by appearing himself to Peter, by appearing himself to these two brothers along the road, by appearing himself to the eleven as they were gathered, he actually did that twice. In another place, we learn that he appeared to 500 disciples all at once. They heard him speak, they saw him with their eyes. And then as one untimely born, the the Lord Jesus even appeared to the Apostle Paul as Paul was traveling to the city of Damascus to persecute Christians and imprison Christians and potentially even kill Christians. The Lord revealed himself and knocked Paul off of his high horse so that he could show him his glory. And Paul indeed bowed his life before the risen Christ. In the 40 days after his resurrection, the Lord repeatedly appeared to those first disciples, and what he was doing was proving himself. He was confirming that his words were true. He was confirming that he had overcome death, that he was, in fact, the hope of life. And once he had done that, he granted his disciples great power to preach the gospel so that when they spoke of Jesus, all who were appointed to eternal life believed. When they spoke in Corinth, when they spoke in Athens, when they spoke in, in uh, Antioch, in both Antiochs that we've been seeing in, in the book of Acts, when they spoke anywhere, people believed because the power of the risen Christ was pouring through the disciples. That's it. And while they preached, others who did not see Jesus Christ physically believed. You'll remember that one day Jesus said to one of the apostles, Thomas was his name. He said, Thomas, have you believed in me because you've seen, you've touched the scars and you've seen my physical body? Blessed are those who do not see and yet still believe. And beloved, through the centuries there have been hundreds of thousands, no, indeed millions who have believed in Jesus Christ without physically seeing him because to this day he continues to prove himself to us. To this day, he continues to confront our lack of faith and to build our faith up at one and the same time. Perhaps even in this room right now, he is doing that work. Perhaps even in this room right now, he is revealing to some of you that he is in fact the Christ, the risen one. Perhaps in this room right now, he's revealing to some of you that he is the one and only Savior, the one who can rescue you from your sin and your rebellion and your hopelessness in life. Perhaps even right now, by his spirit, he's revealing to some of you that he is the unshakable, unbreakable, untakeable hope of this life, and if that's you, If the Lord is opening up your eyes, just let him have his way in you. I remember in October of 1986 when the Lord opened my eyes so that I could see the beauty of his glory and he drew me to himself. And now some 28, 29 years later, he continues to work in my life and reveal himself to me. So if he's opening your eyes for the first time, just let him have his way in you. And if you are already a believer, maybe today, The Lord is coming again to rebuke your lack of faith and also to build up your faith. We're all on a journey, aren't we? There's not one of us in this room who are absolutely filled with faith. Every one of us is on a journey from unbelief to belief. And the way that Christ does this is he reveals himself to us. So perhaps today the Lord is opening up your eyes to say come closer, see more, meditate more spend more time with me pursue me harder seek me and you will find me knock the door will be open to you ask and it will be given to you and the main thing you ought to ask is this let me see your glory Jesus if the Lord of life the risen Christ is stirring in your heart this morning believer don't be afraid and don't harden your heart let him in Let him do his work in you. For some of us, it means we're gonna have to take up our cross and die to things in our lives that are blinding us to Christ. But don't be afraid of that. He will indeed rebuke you. He will indeed rip some things out of your life so that he'll give you eyes to see the greater things in life. So just let him do what he wants to do. The risen Christ is the hope of life, beloved. He is the unshakable unbreakable, untakeable hope of life, and when we believe in him, we become truly free. We are free from sin and the consequences of it. We are free from Satan. We are free from the world. We are free from the pull of our flesh, and I know that we still struggle with things every day of our lives, but I'm saying to you that in a most profound way, we are free from all this in Jesus Christ. We might still struggle with X, Y, and Z but the chains that used to bind us are now broken and they're gone in Jesus' name. And more than that, We are free in Christ to love God the Father with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. We are free to seek Him. We are free to walk with Him, to talk with Him, to listen to Him, to learn from Him, to be shaped into His image. We are free to love one another, to encourage one another, to teach one another, to rebuke one another, to forgive one another, to submit to one another. We are free to love from the heart because of what Christ has done in us, and we are free to love the lost. We are free to love Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and Muslims and atheists and homosexuals and whoever is turned their back against God. We are free to love them and pursue them with the love of Christ, not because a duty is upon our lives, but because we can't help but share the joy of the risen one who has gripped us. Beloved in Jesus Christ, we are absolutely free. This is our reality. It is an objective truth outside of our feelings. It is an objective truth outside of the current measure of our belief or unbelief. Christ has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. This is our unbreakable, unshakable, untakeable hope. And I pray that the power of it would land upon you. So I want to close this morning by quoting again for you the words from Paul. And I wanna pray that by the Holy Spirit, you would have ears to hear the power of the hope we have in Christ. And then we will pray. And we know, in the depths of our hearts, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes. For those whom he foreknew, He also predestined for this, to be conformed into the image of His Son in order that He, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could possibly be against us? He Who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all? How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised In all these things, in the midst, in the heart, in the experience of all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, Father, how we praise you. How we thank you for what you have done how we thank you for the great love with which you loved the world, that you came to confront us with the truth and you came to change us by your grace. Oh God, open up our eyes, open up our minds, open up our hearts that we might receive the hope that is in Christ Jesus. And I pray, Father, that as you do this work in our lives, that we would feel to the depths of our souls the unshakable, unbreakable, untakable hope of Jesus Christ. Let it guide and guard our lives. Father, by the Holy Spirit, I ask you now to come and minister in the hearts of your people in a way that I never could or that no man ever could or no woman ever could. Come now and do in our lives what only you can do. For the glory of your name and the joy of our souls and the good of the nations, we pray, amen.